Eric, what's going on, buddy? Not much, not much. Living the dream. <laughs> so I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit, and I see quite a bit of posts coming my way. And they're all delightful, but yours stopped me in my tracks. This was like a couple months ago, I think. Maybe longer. And I think the first sentence was, I booked 43 meetings in one month over email, which I thought was interesting. But then it was the next sentence that really caught my attention, which is, and 40% of those actually closed into revenue. So congratulations, man. That's a pretty big accomplishment given how crowded inboxes are. Yeah, no, it was uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, it happened a little while back, and I didn't want to share too much too early because it was working very well for me. And I know, um, I know the email, the email outreach game is tough. Um, and so, yeah, after a little while, I thought, you know what? Let's share this, see if we can help some people. Um, but yeah, it was cool. It was very cool. Well, we appreciate it. I know the community appreciates it. Uh, by way of introduction, tell us a little bit about you, what your role is. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the SDR team lead at Cladara. Um, we are a Series A backed fintech um, out of London. Well, originally founded in Barcelona, but now we're in London and Denver, Colorado. Um, we basically help companies manage all of their software subscriptions. So we show them all their software in one place. Myself, I used to play football, and that is pretty much all I ever did. Um, however, I should probably clarify for your main audience, it's soccer. Um, not to be confused with American football. So I used to play that out in Florida where I transitioned from university to pro football. And then once that finished, I decided to get into an SDR role and I moved to moved to London to do so. Okay. All right. So before we get in too deep into soccer, I mean, who's going to win the World Cup first off? Who's, who's, who are you picking there on that? I mean, it has to, it has to be come back to England. I have absolutely zero doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Zeroed out. All right. So good. So before we actually get into get tactical, which we're going to get, I think it really helps if people can understand a little bit more about the prospects that you're reaching out to and specifically the job they're trying to get done, how they're getting it done before they hire you or before they give you money and the problem with the current way. So if they were to keep doing it the way they're doing it, what terrible, no good, very bad thing happens. I think it'd be helpful to get some context. So starting from the top, and I know you probably sell to lots of different people, but for the purposes of just wrapping our heads around this a little bit, mm-hmm. what's one title that you typically sell to? Typically, I would say CFOs. So any any head of finance, really. Okay. And what types of companies do you typically target? So... We mainly target fast-growing companies, so companies that have a lot of change within them. That typically tends to fall on venture-backed companies just because they get a lot of funding. They tend to grow very fast. Um, But that also happens with bootstrap companies. So for us, it's really any company that sees quite a big dynamic change. That's kind of our, as a salesperson, that's my favorite to reach out to. Okay, so these are people maybe that are like in growth mode. They've gotten funding. They're hiring a bunch of salespeople. Yeah, absolutely. Hiring anybody really, because more more staff means more software. Um, that's kind of where we where we jump in to help. Okay, so this is a company that has lots of different pieces of software. They might have HR software, they may have financial software, they may have sales software. They've got software for lots of things. Maybe they're using seven or eight, nine, ten 
different pieces of software. And you mentioned managing the software. Can you tell me a little bit about what you mean by that when you say managing it? What's the job they're trying to get done specifically? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I don't know about you. If you ever, if you're anything like me, you've probably signed up to a couple free trials in your time, um, and then suddenly, you know, two weeks later, a month down the line, you forget you've done it, and a payment comes out of your bank account. Now, on a personal level, that's something we've all experienced. Um, but this actually happens with businesses as well. They sign up to free trials of tools. They may be testing something out, um, and then suddenly they've been charged. So that's kind of one one thing that happens when people grow. On the other hand, um, when companies start growing fast, it can be very, very easy to lose track of who has access to what software and what tools you actually have. So we see a lot of instances where someone will come into a role and they'll say, hey, do we have this software? I need it to do X, Y, Z. And someone says, no, I don't think so. So they then go and pay for it on their CEO's credit card. And then suddenly, two months later down the line, they're like, why did you buy that? We already have it. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what we see a lot. Um, so manage it's it, so, I think. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Josh. I mean, it, it, it's so interesting. I, I just experienced this not too long ago. I realized that my wife and I both had subscriptions to Hulu, like premium subscriptions. Yeah. We didn't even realize yeah. it. but I'm, And God knows what else. Like, I guess this, this happens a lot with, yeah. I know personally, but in business, it's interesting. So this happened to me as well in business. So I had signed up for Zoom webinar. I don't even yeah. remember signing up for it, honestly. Maybe it was on some promotion. I was going to do a webinar. I kind of completely forgotten about it. And then it went to renew and I was like, whoa, I don't even use this thing anymore. And it was very difficult to unravel that. Um, even though I had contacted the company literally the day it renewed, they're like, Hey, yeah. we, that's not how we roll. And eventually I was able to get a refund, but it was like, it was a problem. So you're able to proactively monitor when subscriptions are coming up to notify people before they get, get dinged again. Exactly. Yeah. So we can notify you exactly when the payment's due um, or when your free trial ends. And then also when you're usually people pay on a monthly subscription, but we can also show you any quarterly, annual, whatever payment um, period it is. And how are people managing this today? Is it mostly like in spreadsheets? Are they or maybe not even doing it at all? Or Yeah, it kind of varies. Some some companies do it just through their accounting software so at the end of the month they might just run a report and then see what subscriptions they're paying for uh, but most of the time we do see it being managed on some sort of spreadsheet now what it's not a dreadful way to do it like it works for a lot of people but as you start to grow it's just not something you can you can scale up really i understand what's the tipping point there because you make a good point you know the problem is not really big and intense if i have like four pieces of software but if yeah. I have like 15 or 20 and I got a lot of people, like, is there sort of a tipping point where all of a sudden it becomes a bigger problem? There is. I think it varies. What's super interesting about people is it varies per person because a lot of people have such different tolerance to like it being a pain. Like for some people, just having to check once a month is enough for them to be like, I, I just can't be bothered to deal with this issue. And some other people think, well, I'm growing super fast. I have bigger problems, so I'll deal with this later on. Um, but typically, we tend to tend to kind of companies kind of feel it once they're at like 18, 20 employees. And at that point, they're starting to have quite a few tools with different departments, things like that. And do you have a sense of what this problem typically costs? I know there's a, there's a product out there called Truebill, which is, I think, a direct-to-consumer yeah. version of this that monitors 
subscriptions you have active and allows you to sort of cancel with a click. I think they have like a concierge service or something. Mm -hmm. And they have some claim, I think, on their website where people are typically overpaying by like, I don't know, five to $700 every year on subscriptions yeah. they forgot about. It's a, it's a pretty alarming stat. And I know I've experienced this. Do you have a sense of what the cost of this problem is if left unchecked? Yeah, so we we typically see people cut their software bill by around twenty five to thirty percent within within them joining Cladara. Now, that's to me, it's quite a staggering number, especially if you're a larger business spending you know tens of thousands of dollars a month on software, which a lot of people do. Um, so we we typically see it's around around thirty percent. Wow, and I guess the the tricky part is you don't know how much software they're using until you actually reach out or do you have some intelligence that allows you to gather maybe based on tech stack or code on their website, different software so that you can limit your approach? Because I mean, your, your response rates are super high, which I would imagine you're doing a really bang up job of pointing in the right direction. Um, so yeah. talk to me a little bit about how you put that initial list of prospects together yeah so um in terms of sorry can you just clarify a question is it in how i put the prospects together or how we kind of figure out the the tools and stuff yeah so when 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 um tasked with trying to start new business over email one of the first steps is i got to know who i want to reach out to and it seems like based on your response rates clearly we're going to get into the messaging and and your approach there but mm -hmm. we have to be you have to probably point the emails in the right direction, meaning you probably spent some time thinking through who you want to reach out to. To your point earlier, it's not everyone. Someone that has one piece of software and five people, probably not going to be a fit. So talk to me a little bit about your process for how you build up a list of people. What, and what do you use to, to take an educated guess of, I think these people are experiencing the problem because they have maybe 18 pieces of software or X amount of people. How, how do you think through that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, starting out, we, there's a really cool tool. You might have heard of it called Built With. And Built With can basically scan a website and see what tools are linked to building that website. And so that's kind of a good indication of how much a company is using software. And it also gives you a good indication of kind of how much they're spending because you know certain tools like HubSpot and Salesforce, these are expensive tools. And so if you see a company is using those on their website, you can make a good guess that they're going to be using a lot of other tools and spending money on this. In terms of finding them, um, back when I made this post, when I was so successful, we used a tool called Apollo. Um, and on that, you can just make various searches based on lots of filters, very similar to like Zoom Info, Cognizant, and a lot of data, data tools. Um, at the time, I'd booked, um, I'd made a sequence around some funded companies in the Benelux, because I was working the Benelux. And one of the companies, StudyTube, who was the highest funded ed tech in Netherlands, booked a meeting with us and ended up becoming a customer. So once they became a customer, I read into more like the ed tech scene in Netherlands and it was absolutely like booming for them. It was going really, really great. And so I thought, you know what, let me let me build out a cadence to a loads of other ed tech companies. They're all going to know who StudyTube are because they're kind of the leaders in that space. Um, and let me just see if they are experiencing the same issue. And then obviously they were, which was great. Well, for me, not for them, but it's great. They got a solution now. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you sort of doubled down once you got some traction. 
Uh, which, which brings me to my next question. I would imagine, or correct me if I'm wrong, you sell to maybe different types of people. You mentioned CFOs, but maybe there's other roles that you sell to as well. Um, do you Absolutely. think about segmenting by role or is it really the same message for everyone? No, absolutely. We do alter message based on role because kind of the beauty of what we do is we kind of bring finance and IT teams together because there's kind of a big disconnect between those two departments. Um, and because we do both, we reach out to a lot of finance personas and also a lot of um, people within IT as well. And then sometimes even founders and CEOs. So the messaging does alter. Um, with finance, it's it's going to sound silly, but it's all around the financials of how we can forecast your spending, kind of predict your future spending, let you know with renewals, any duplicate tools you have. And then with IT, it's kind of a more um, security and usage led approach. So we can show you how much each tool is actually being used. Um, so you can see, okay, we have this tool and this person really shouldn't have access to that. And we didn't know they had access to that. And so kind of how we deliver the message based on persona does alter. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's get into that. So let's maybe we'll talk about finance. So CFOs you mentioned, and I, I know yeah. I used to sell to CFOs and I know one thing they hate more than anything is overpaying for stuff that they yeah. didn't know they had. So I love the, the messaging here. So let's talk a little bit about CFOs. We now know the types of companies. We now know the roles. We have a sense of the hypothesis in terms of the problem. Talk to me about, What's next? You sit down in front of a email sequencing tool, maybe like an outreach or a sales loft, or yep. let's just say a Google Doc for now, and we're going to write like email number one. Walk me through your thought process of how you start thinking about writing the, the series of messages. Like, what's the first thing you do? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I I suppose. When I'm thinking about writing an email, from what I've learned, and I still have a million things to learn about like being an SDR in sales outreach, which is why I love it so much, um, but I typically tend to go with leading with a problem that I've noticed or something I've noticed that could lead to a problem. Um, just because it tends for me, I see it grabs a little bit more attention if you lead with something, because something like an issue, because in the email, Yours obviously have the subject line, but then you also have the preview text, which shows like the first 15, 20 words. Um, and so for me, those that kind of first sentence is key to get that email opened and to continue the content. So the first thing I'm thinking about is, okay, what have I noticed or what have I found about this company that's made me reach out? And that's kind of how, how I lead it out initially. Okay, great, great point. So subject line, you control it. First 20 or 30 words, you control it. You don't control who it's being sent from. Obviously, you're going to be a stranger, so there's nothing you could do about yeah. that. But give me an example of like, let's start with the subject line. Yeah. Um, reaching out to CFOs and companies that are growing. We've done some research on Built With. Looks like they're using some different types of technology. What do you put in the subject line specifically that you notice has been working for you? Because again, if you're just fast forwarding here, um, Eric's able to get a 40, 44% response rate on his cold emails. I'm sorry, booking about 40 emails a month uh, through email and also closing about 40% of those deals. So not just booking meetings, but closing them. And we can't get to any of that unless someone's actually opening the email. So anything that you've learned with regards to subject lines, maybe some examples you can share. 
Yeah, absolutely. From from my experience, bar one subject line we use, the shorter the better. I find I and no punctuation. I'd never really include punctuation. So my favorite since I've been in SDR for Cladara is just the word growth in lowercase, like all in lowercase. Um to me it's it's always something that whoever you're emailing is going to be interested in in some way. Um and so and it, to me, it looks very inconspicuous. It, the word growth in lowercase does not look like a sales or marketing email at all. Um, and so for me, it kind of that, that's always performed relatively well. Now, listen, if your solution has nothing to do with growth, don't just be pasting in growth in your subject lines, people. Just context matters. Okay. So now we get to the first sentence. And you had mentioned that you're looking at something about the company. Are you referencing their tech stack? Are you saying, hey, noticed that you're using X, Y, and Z, or talk to me about that first sentence. Maybe give me an example. Yeah, absolutely. So because of our product, um, companies purchase their software through Cladara, and we collate a lot of data on how much people spend on their software and how many tools they have. So the real benefit to being an SDR at Cladara is you can make a really good assumption on how much their spending and how many tools they have based on size, industry, etc. And so along with the info you can get from built with on certain tools, you're able to build quite a nice first line out. So you may say something like, Hey Josh, noticed on builtwith.com that um inside selling now has twenty three subscriptions, including X and Y. And that's kind of how how lead out. Yeah, that's gonna really get attention. Um, and the reason I like that too, you know, Chris Voss talks about this. I just spent a couple of days with him in uh, Nashville. For those that are not familiar, he's the uh, author of Never Split the Difference, former FBI negotiator, great book. And he talks about li- labeling. So, you know, it looks like you're using these tools and you have these software subscriptions. The interesting thing about labeling or pointing that out is that if you're wrong, people love correcting. So they'll say, well, we're not using outreach, we're using sales loft. And now we're in a conversation. So even if you mislabel a little bit, um, it's a very powerful technique to take a a shot in the dark. It's not really the dark, you have some intelligence tools. But the fact that you're actually naming tools specifically and specific software, rather than saying, notice you're using some tools. No, notice you're using sales loft, you're using outreach. Hey, did you guys know you're using both? <laughs> so, you know, being, being very specific there, I could see where that's going to do its job. And the, the job of the first sentence is to get someone to read the second sentence. You know, Joe Sugarman, famous copywriter, you know, came up with that idea, which is a great way to think about it. It's like you're, you're, the job of each sentence is to get someone to read the next sentence. So we have this subject line growth, piques curiosity. I open it up and now you're talking about my tech stack. And I'm like, why is the, this is very relevant? Um, so now we go into sentence two, and I would imagine you're going to now paint a picture of the problem in some way. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about sen- uh, sentence two. Yeah, absolutely. So just just quickly on what you said as well, I think the the reason that first line also leads on so well is because, like you say, with the tools, people like to correct. It's also the same with the number because if you overestimate, they're going to tell you, "Well, I don't have that many, so it's not a problem," and then equally. They also might be sat there thinking, well, I thought I only had 15. Do I really have 23? And so it kind of, it piques that curiosity to then continue reading. So with the number and the tool, and I think that's why it works, works quite well. Um, 
And what's also, also great about this, and uh, Will, Will Atkin over at, uh, talks about this as well, and I think Lavender's got some data on this, is that looks really good on a mobile phone. Like, you see that, on, you know, you have 23 licenses of sales left. You're like, holy shit, do I have? We have like 10 people. What am I do- What are we doing here? Right, like that. And, and again, the, the desire to correct is going to kick in. Um, also, what you said is also really true. It's almost like planting a seed of potential doubt in my head where I have to think. You know, you're, you're sort of making the prospect think. I, I love that. All right, so second sentence. Yeah. So I've said said that first sentence, and I usually end it with, and this is, because if they're growing, I usually say, and this is probably growing all the time. So you have these number, include an X, Y, Z, and this is probably growing all the time. Um, and then Can we stop I, there for a second? Some, something yeah, I absolutely. love about that, and, and it's very subtle, but I think it's an important call out. And it's growing all the time. What that doesn't sound like is then we streamline and optimize your solution, right? It, it's very casual language. It's almost very like chill. Um, I yeah. talk about this with cold calling all the time where I talk to SDRs and they're not doing cold calls and they sound just like normal and chill and conversational. And then we get yeah. this sales voice that kicks in when we get on a call where we sound so serious. And so most of the work that I do with teams is just getting people to be more conversational. So on a cold call, hey, John, I have no idea what your process is. I was talking to a couple Annas last week and we saw that they're doing X, Y, and Z and was wondering like, how are you guys doing that? Like, how are you guys doing it? Was talking to a few. And it's the same thing with that line that you just said, and it's growing all the time. Like that's a very conversational line. And I think conversational writing is much more inviting than formal writing because it just hits differently. For sure. For sure. And it, it also, it's also a lot shorter. Like when you're speaking casually, instead of like using going to, you might just write gonna. And yeah. the whole tone of the email shifts and it shortens. And I think that's only a good thing for cold emails. I love that. I love that. Okay. And the other thing that line does too is it also makes the problem bigger, right? Because it's like, yeah, it probably is getting more expensive every month. Yeah. Uh, w- what's next? Like it, it, it's almost like the, the brain doesn't have a choice but to read the next sentence there. The curiosity is just so peaked up. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah. So then once I've done that, I usually address that this isn't something... How do, how, I need to word this correctly. So what I say is um, like we understand or I understand that having control over these can be really difficult as you scale or I've spoken to so-and-so who's had this challenge as they've scaled. I've kind of played with the two lines and weirdly, I don't see much difference. Um, And so I tend to stick with, we understand that, you know, keeping control over these can be really difficult as you grow. Now the word keeping control, does that speak? What do do you mean by that? Do people know what you mean by that? Because that seems to me at surface, at least a little vague, like what do you mean keeping control? Just in the sense of, imagine you go to like the park with your kids. If they're if they're out of control, they're like here, there, and everywhere. And now now you've said it, I I, I probably I probably will change this tomorrow thinking about it. But don't let me mess up your conversion rate. No, no, (laughs) (laughs) not at all. I'm just thinking about it. When we say control, um, we just mean like to keep them in check, like to keep them manageable, like to them not to get too difficult to deal with. But I definitely, yeah, there's, there could be a better word for sure. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, you know, again, I don't want to mess with your success here, um, but you might, you might want to say, um, 
something to the effect of what that problem ends up costing. You know, yep. you know, seeing that companies are typically overpaying by twenty or thirty percent in software fees that they didn't really uh, forgot about or didn't didn't realize. Yeah. Um, and then sort of, you know, we built this app that allows you to identify those so you can catch them before they happen or et cetera. But it's almost like you want to, you want to communicate more, at a more crispy level. What, when you say yeah. losing control, you can make losing control then dash, you know, IE, you know, o- overpaying for software they yeah, forgot yeah. about or something like that. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's go from the beginning. Let's read the first, let's just go through sentence one and two together. Just so you can see how this stitches together. And then we'll go to the next sentence. So we have this trigger event that everyone talks about, but this one's really different and very specific. And it's almost like crack. So go through that first sentence again, Eric, just so people can see how it stitches together. Yeah, absolutely. So, hey, Josh, noticed on builtwood.com that inside selling now has at least 33 software subscriptions, and this is probably growing all the time. We understand this can be very difficult to keep control of as you continue to grow or as you continue to scale. And do you mention the actual software subscriptions? Do you mention like, do you take a, oh, yeah. a, an educated stab at um, what those are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, my bad. So yeah, on when we review builtwood.com and it labels some tools, we say, notice you had 23 software subscriptions, including sales loft and Zoom info. And these are probably growing okay. all the time. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. All right, let's keep going. Yeah. So then once once we've labeled the reason I've reached out and then what the problem is, which is it's very difficult to keep control as they grow. I tend to then ask a rhetorical question. So it is a question, but I don't end the sentence with a question mark. I leave it with a dot, dot, dot. And that is what if you could see all your software in one place, giving you full visibility and control. Mm-hmm. And then so, followed by that, sorry, just cause it's tied in followed by that is then a picture of the Cladara dashboard which then shows you a list of your tools, the finances, that that's a lot of information on the picture. Yeah. So this is interesting. So so my addition to this, and again, I don't want to mess up what you're doing here, but but where my mind yeah. went was, I almost want you to say, so that you can. Right? So what if you could do this so that you could cancel subscriptions you forgot about, or you can... Uh, you know, you see everything in one place so that you're never paying for software that you forgot about, or uh, you're never having more licenses than you need, or you're never having, you know, more people subscribe that already yeah. have subscribed. It's almost like there's this, so that this terrible thing doesn't happen. Um, but I yeah. love that. So the, so the graphic actually, rather than talking about it, you actually get to see like a view of what I'm perceiving as, all the software listed so you can see exactly how many licenses and what you're paying and when this stuff is due. Exactly. Exactly right. Because the one thing I've always been mindful of is I never want to bar- bombard them with too much information hmm. um, because people just switch off. Right. And that that's the beauty of an image is we, you can process so much information from an image that doesn't feel like the same effort as reading. Yeah. And so I think it'd be really, yeah, super powerful. Love that. Love that. Yeah. I, um, Spoke about this a couple weeks ago, I think, on LinkedIn. I was doing some work with a company and showed like how you can use bar graphs and humor to communicate a point. Uh, to your point, you know, images, the, the brains just process information differently that way. And, it, and a lot of people will say, well, don't images get blocked? Um, would love to get your take on this. My take on this is 
Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. <laughs> but they always get yeah. blocked if you don't if you don't use them. Yeah, I I don't see since I've been in SDR. So in the eighteen months we've been doing it at Cladara, we don't see a difference in open rates and deliverability with emails that have an image versus emails that don't. Now, it might be different predominantly in the US because a lot of the outreach at that time was in Europe, but we don't we don't particularly see a difference at all. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's good to hear. Okay. So what comes after that? Do you have some kind of call to action after that or? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's with this particular sequence, it was, it, it was simply just open to a quick chat question mark. Open to a quick um, chat. Okay. Yeah. But recently that's kind of, I've shifted that a little bit. So what did you shift it to? Similar to what you said earlier about explaining, um, kind of the result. So it's like, we go through all of that and then it's like, we helped James at X company save this. Are you open to seeing if we can do the same for you? So rather than asking for a call, it's like, could do you want to find out if you could get the same thing? So showing like a little social proof there. Yeah. Through third party credibility. Okay. Let's stitch this all together again. And let's just get a sense of, and I'm going to have Eric kind of read the, read the email just so you can get a sense of it. And when you're listening to this, Understand the underlying framework. Eric's doing a really good job of him explaining why he's doing what he's doing. And it's the psychology behind why he's doing what he's doing that will allow you to apply the thinking to your prospects. What you shouldn't be doing is copying his email and sending it to your prospects because it's, you're not selling the same thing. But what you can do is understand his thinking, his thought process, and then apply it to your audience. That's the key thing here. So as we're going through this, think about the underlying psychology behind the template, so to speak, not just ripping off his words. Uh, so Eric, go ahead and let's go through the whole email one more time. Yeah. yeah. So, Hey Josh noticed on builtwith.com that inside selling now has at least 33 software descriptions, including sales loft and zoom info. And this is probably growing all the time. We understand managing these subscriptions as they grow can be really challenging. What if you could see all your software subscriptions in one place, giving you full visibility and control? Here's how that might look with Cladara. And then we display the dashboard open to a quick chat to see how we might help. Or maybe there's a sentence there, you know, uh, Acme and beta was able to save 20% on their subscription costs in the first year, you know, interested yeah. in learning how something like that. I love that. Yeah, now, exactly. what about in terms of, so is the response, is the, are the meetings being booked on that first email or is it, you have a sequence going on after that or what happens after that email? Yeah. So, I do have a sequence um, for the post specifically on LinkedIn, 30 of them booked off the first step. The the rest built it in through different, through different steps as we went on. So what, ha what's the second step? Is it like some kind of a bump email or? Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much a gif of me sliding through the office on my chair with the Cladara logo in the background with a board on that says any thoughts. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's my second step. Because if you can slide with a gif, if you have those skills to be able to create a gif of you sliding in with a thing that says any thoughts, why, why not do it? Okay, then is there like a third? How many touches in the sequence do you have? Um, at the time, it was um, six. Okay, so what do you do, let's say, step three? Uh, so yeah, so you've done this initial email, you've done like an animated GIF, any thoughts thing, and now you have step three. Um, what else are you saying? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the first email is focused on the most typical problem that people face, which is 
the the number gets out of hand and it's difficult to manage so then as we go through the sequence i'll focus on like different value propositions so the first one was okay can you see all your software in one place and then the third one will be based around wasted spend so highlighting duplicate tools unused tools focusing on a different problem so i love this 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 to me is again a huge mistake i see people make all the time which is i call it they make all their chess moves in one email yeah so they have these you know three four ways in which they could potentially help people and they outline it all in this meeting and then they have nothing to say uh, so i love what you're saying here which is make one chess move per email yeah one problem per email because brains really can't zero in on more than one thought or idea and you have multiple touches in your toolkit so you may as well drip them out slowly um so i really love uh what you say what you said there um what did this experience uh, do you mix in any cold calls or is this just all email this this 40 meetings that you're booking uh, i'm sorry 40 something meetings that you're booking and the 40 percent conversion rate is this all through email yeah. as your post suggested or are you also mixing in calls no at the time it was purely email wow yeah are you mixing in calls now at all or are you sticking with uh, email um at the moment as a team we're predominantly emailed linkedin um we are testing cold calling in our us um like account executives are kind of piloting that but when we started out we were just like email outreach and we honestly we didn't slow down and so as the team kind of grew we didn't really implement it um and so we kind of just stuck with it but it's something now that we we have to we have it's something we have to do and we're excited to do yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the cold call is actually writing itself, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you, you could almost envision, and this is just a best shot at goal right now. You can almost envision saying something like this to a CFO who, again, they hate overpaying for stuff. Yeah. You can almost say, um, hey, Mr. and Mrs. CFO, uh, we're seeing that companies that are using over 15 pieces of software are typically overpaying by 20 or 30% for software they forgot about. If you don't mind me asking, how are you monitoring the software that you have today? Yeah. Right. Like you can almost see it writing itself, you know, there just based on your, on your copy. You had also mentioned LinkedIn. Um, is your LinkedIn strategy different? Yeah, I, I'm very, I'm very relaxed and very conversational through, through messaging. I, I tend to just try and write how I speak. Um, and so for me, I tend to just engage on LinkedIn with prospects that have engaged with my emails and that are active on LinkedIn. Like they need to be visibly active, like posting or interacting with stuff at least once or twice a week for me. So you're seeing if someone like opens your email or they're clicking around and then what will you say in your LinkedIn message? It, it varies a little bit um, depending on the level of interaction. Like if they've clicked um, on the meeting link or they've gone to view the Cladara website, then the messaging will alter. But usually I'm kind of, I don't want people to get freaked out if I say, hey, I saw you jumped on our website after I sent you this email because it, it can get a bit get a bit intrusive. Stalker. So I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I tend to just say, um, hey, like, thanks for connecting. I don't send a note. I never send a note with a connection request personally. Um, and then if they accept, I just say, hey, thanks for connection. Um, I sent you over an email earlier today or yesterday. Um, if you want me to stop, let me know. Um, but I'll also send over some more info if, if, if needed. So you use the LinkedIn channel. It sounds like to promote your email. You don't really, yes. it doesn't sound like you message too much within LinkedIn. No, I don't know. Eric, 
you have been so generous sharing your knowledge with the LinkedIn community. What I really liked about what you shared today was that you gave the audience a real understanding of how you think. And I know I keep talking about this, but it does bear repeating one more time. If you can understand how Eric thinks, you will be able to apply the strategy to your audience. If you don't understand how Eric thinks, what you're going to end up doing is copying and pasting his words, and they're not going to land as well because the audience that you're selling to probably isn't the same as Eric's audience. Um, Eric, if people want to get in touch with you and learn a little bit more about what you're up to, and again, so generous of you to share this knowledge with the LinkedIn community, or they just want to say thank you, hopefully some of you will do that without asking Eric for anything. You'll just say thank you, thank you, thank you, please. But Eric, if people want to get a hold of you, want to learn a little bit more from you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Just um, LinkedIn would be the best the best way. Um, I haven't been active posting recently just because work's been very busy and that's kind of takes a priority over um, over using LinkedIn. But I'm always active and looking on there. So connecting with you on there, dropping a follow, sending a message. Um, yeah, I do. I do a lot of calls with people just to like review cadences and help people out because I wish like I had more people doing that for me when I started. And so LinkedIn is definitely the best, the best place to go. And if you are a company and you're listening to this, and you're like, you know what? I think our company would be a good fit for this potentially. I'm not even sure. And you want to introduce the CFO to Eric. I'm sure he would not hate you for that. Right, Eric? You would not, you would not hate an introduction, right? I would not hate it. No, I would not hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So if you're, if you're working for one of these companies that's in growth mode, you see them hiring a lot of people, you think you're using a lot of software, please you know, tell your CFO and see if you can't set up a meeting, make an introduction. One of the best ways to use LinkedIn is to introduce people to other people, even if you have nothing to benefit from it. It always pays itself forward. So if you are one of those people working for one of those companies, ping your CFO and see if you can't get an intro to Eric. Eric, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I really appreciate you. Appreciate it, Josh. Thanks so much for having me on.